Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles. Turn to Luke tonight. I'm going to kind of continue where I left off this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. We were talking before the service about this uh, coronavirus. And uh, I was, I listened to a podcast on a regular basis and uh, get a lot of news on that. But one interesting thing um, is where these viruses come from. I was sharing this back with uh, Heather. And, uh, and, the, and the other question it answers is why do these viruses typically going back historically for many years, why do they come out of China? And the answer is because of their wet markets. And their wet markets is where they take, they're kind of, someone mentioned it's kind of, uh, I don't know if they're legal or sanctioned by the, I, probably not anymore, but uh, by the communist government. But um, wet markets are where they take live animals of all varieties. And then when you buy them, my understanding is they then slaughter them and kill them for you there in the wet market. And that's why they're called wet, because you're dealing with uh, blood, I presume. That's my presumption. But uh, these markets, they sell all types of exotic animals, as in bats and snakes and wolf cubs and... I forget some, of course, so along with pigs and everything else in these markets. So what happens is you have this completely unsanitary situation. And uh, <clears throat> this coronavirus, as is the case with many viruses, is actually a virus from bats, they've determined. Uh, but bats, this virus cannot be transmitted from a bat to a human. But what happens in these wet viruses, which one... Uh, article I saw describes them as petri dishes. Is that, am I saying that right? Petri dishes for viruses. Um, is the this vi the bat viruses from the bats will go to the pigs, and then from the pigs it can mutate and go to the humans. So it can't go directly from bats to humans, but it goes from the bats to other animals in the market, mutates, and then eventually gets to the people who are. Uh, in the markets, and that's where this coronavirus, and that's where these viruses come from. They come out of these very unsanitary markets in China. And uh, now this one has now killed the SARS, which was 2002-2003, S, capital S-A-R-S, and I forget what that stood for. Uh, but that particular virus killed 700 and some people, and now the coronavirus up to 800. Now, keep in mind, during the same time period, Thousands have died from just the common flu. So I'm not really sure what it is about this, these particular, except that maybe they're new and they're not sure how to control them. There's no vaccination for them. Of course, they're trying to develop a vaccination and uh, they are working on that. But, um, but I thought, you know, it's interesting where they come from and uh, how they get started. And of course, it's believed now that China hid the fact that they started in China. They think it was first discovered early in December. It was not announced that it was an issue until January 20th. By then, it's starting to get out of hand. And these viruses can spread. Uh, there's very little difference between these from what I've read in like the bubonic plague, where of course, but back in those days, Middle Ages, they had nothing to fight them. And so that's why they don't typically get out of hand. Uh, another interesting point, I believe that on yesterday or Friday, <clears throat> they said that the doctor, who was a young younger man, who first identified it, uh, 
died from the virus. And so he died. And of course, they're not sure how many people that have actually died in China that aren't being reported. So when it's coming out of China, you never really know how much of the truth you are getting. And, uh, and they say that journalists, uh, citizen journalists, people who've been reporting, like if you've been like in your town and you've been taking pictures and putting up online and saying, here's what's happening with the virus in my town, those people disappear. They're disappearing. Like they're reporting one day and then all of a sudden they're just gone from the equation. So, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, but it is some pray for these, uh, uh, folks, pray for the folks in, in, uh, cause affecting all in China and many Christians in China already under persecution and, uh, and these things have a way of affecting the entire world in this global economy. And in this global where people can travel in a day's time, less than a day, you can be anywhere else in the world and, uh, and spread these things in ways that were not possible uh, years ago. Let's see, Luke chapter 4, verse number 16 <clears throat> says, And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. <clears throat> And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. That's Isaiah. So Jesus travels to Nazareth. It's his hometown. And uh, when he is there, he's given uh, a copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, I don't know if, you know, you don't think about it when uh, Jesus and in those days, anybody, when they would read the book of Isaiah, they didn't have a Bible of 66 books. They would typically, if they're reading Isaiah, they're reading a handwritten scroll copy of a copy of a copy of the book of Isaiah. And But God preserved his word for us. And uh, that text passed down to us until they had exactly what we have today. But, uh, but that's what he was reading and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me <clears throat> because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. <clears throat> he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down and all and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And unlike today, oftentimes in the synagogues, they would read and then sit down and speak while they were sitting. That sounds like a good idea. Amen. I like that. But uh, and all the eyes of them were fastened on him. And he began to say, verse 21, unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears, saying that I am what Jesus was saying is I am the fulfillment of this prophecy that he just read from Isaiah. And to all bear him witness and wondered at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? He was in his hometown. They knew Joseph, the carpenter. And they said, you know, he's saying he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. But this is we know his father. How can this be? Verse 23. And he said unto them, "Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So he said, I know what you're going to say. You want to see the miracles. 
that you've heard I've been doing other places. You want to see the amazing things, the healings, the uh, feeding of the multitudes. You want me to do those things. But he said in verse 24, and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. He said, but it's not going to happen here. Now, remember what the message was this morning. The message was about in the day of Hezekiah when he reopened the temple and they restarted the temple worship and they went around with posts that went through the countryside, even up into the northern kingdom, even though they were in Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, inviting everybody to come and keep the Passover. And some laughed and some uh, did not have, want to have anything to do with it. But then there were those that came but, and they observed the Passover, but they did not observe it to the letter of the law. But Hezekiah prayed that God would pardon them for that. And he made the point they had prepared their hearts. They had done the best, I would say, is the way we would phrase it, to prepare their hearts to seek the Lord. And God honored that. And the point is that God looks at the heart. God wants to see what direction we are. We are we sincerely seeking after God. And even back then in the Old Testament time, when the letter of the law uh, was uh, much more important, keeping that letter of the law and uh, every jot and every tittle being observed, even then God said, look, I'm going to overlook that. You aren't doing it at the right date. You're not observing, you're observing the second month, not the first month. Uh, of the year, uh, you're not, you haven't purified yourselves according to the letter of the law, but I'm putting all of that aside because you, I can tell that you are sincerely preparing your heart. You sincerely want to get right and do the right thing. Amen. And God overlooked it. So now we come to the New Testament, another similar situation where Jesus, as we'll see, where Jesus is in his hometown and they have come, they want to see the miracles. They want to see what Jesus is doing. And, and, but they're trying to figure this out. He's the son of Joseph. We know who he is. And, uh, and so that uh, created a problem for them. And here's the reason. They were coming, not seeking, but as cynics. They're like, you know what? We know who he is. I remember him. You know, it's like a pastor who goes back to pastor in his hometown, pastor his home church. And he's there preaching to a congregation of uh, ladies who used to change his diaper in the nursery. <laughs> I know him. I remember when he bit that other kid, you know, as a four-year-old. And uh, now, sometimes that still works, amen. God removes those people from the congregation. No, just kidding. But, uh, but that's still work. But it's the same idea uh, here. But they weren't coming sincerely seeking. They had not come with hearts that were sincerely seeking after God. They had come more as a people who just had come to see if this person who they knew growing up, this Jesus, Let's go see what miracles he can show us. Let's see if he can prove himself to us. Now look at Christ's response here. Look at verse 25. But I tell you of a truth. He's going to explain. He's speaking to them, telling them why, they're not, why he's not going to work any miracles there. And he's going to give them two illustrations here from the Old Testament. He says, but I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. 
Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So here's the point. He says, remember, he says, look, back there in the Old Testament, when you had the story of Elijah and the famine, and remember Elijah went out by the brook and he was fed by the ravens. How many remember that? During the, the famine. And the king looked for him, couldn't find him. God protected him out there. He fed him. The ravens brought him food. And then what happened? The brook dried up. And God moved him. And by the way, it's, it's a whole message in itself. And I may preach it again sometime soon. I've thought about it recently. But, you know, when God dries up one brook, he has another one to take care of you. If you are sincerely seeking after him. So Elijah moves. He goes here. The city is referred to as Sarepta in the Old Testament. It's Zarephath. And that's how we typically know it. It's the same city, the same story. Uh, just in the New Testament, a different way of saying it and, and writing it out. But he said uh, there were all these people who were starving to death. But Elijah only went to one. Only one. And then Elijah went. She gave him the little cake she made with her last food that she was going to make and eat with her son and die. And Elijah said, give me that cake and then I'm going to tell you what to do and God will preserve you. And she stepped out by faith and she did that. And then what happened? Her meal, her barrel of meal, every time she went and take a scoop out of it, there was still another scoop left. The oil that she would mix with that to make her bread, every time she poured some out, there was always some left. So that was a major miracle. But Jesus makes the point, Elijah only went to one widow out of all those who were starving. He gives another illustration, verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliasis the prophet, Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. He's talking now about the time when Naaman the leper was healed by dipping seven times in the Jordan River. There were many lepers, but only one got healed. Now look at the response of those who were listening. Because if, you, if I were just to give you in the whole context... You would kind of say, well, you know, you're, we're trying to connect the dots. Maybe that doesn't really connect, but it connected the, the people there in his hometown of Nazareth connected the dots very clearly. Look at because look at what their response was. Verse 28 and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built. Nazareth sits, to this day, sits on a hill. To the hill whereupon their, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now think about that. They didn't just get upset when they heard this response. They tried to kill him. They understood what Jesus 
was saying. They understood that he was really giving them an indictment. He was saying, look, there's not going to be any miracles here. You are not worthy of any miracles here. So what's the difference between the widow woman in Zarephath and all the other widow women in Israel in Elijah's day? What's the difference between Naaman and all the other lepers in Israel? The difference is, going along with the message this morning, they were two people who were willing to prepare their hearts. They were two people who were willing to submit to what they were supposed to do. They obeyed the commands of God. They did the part that they could do, and then God did the part that they couldn't do. What, on the case of uh, the widow woman, she gave her last, she stepped out by faith and gave her last meal and her last oil, made the last cake she could make, the very last food she had. She gave it to the prophet. Now, to you and me, with a full stomach sitting here tonight, that doesn't seem like much. But if somebody came to town and you're down to your last loaf of bread, and I mean your last loaf of bread, and then it's die, and they said, hey, one more thing just before you leave this world. Uh, give me your last piece of bread. Eh, you might not. I think we would certainly understand the, the context of the story a lot better. And then you had names. So she was willing. She stepped out by faith, obeyed the prophet, and God showed her the miracle and she was preserved and her child was preserved. What about the leper? What did he do? Remember what he was told? He was told, hey, go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. The Jordan River was a filthy, dirty river. They didn't have a clean water act. Amen. The government had not regulated it. And so it was a filthy, dirty river. And you're talking to Naaman, a, a uh, political, a politician, a, what, maybe a commander in the army, as I remember, but involved in the government of the land. And he's like, hey, as his first response was, I'm not going to get in that filthy, dirty river. You know, it was then that one of his servants said, hey, you know what? He could ask you to do anything. That's something you can do may not be what you wanted to do, but it's something you can do. You know what? He got his heart right, and he went down there to that river, and he dipped himself in it seven times, and when he came up the seventh time, he was healed of his leprosy. Why did he get healed? Because he had a heart that was willing to submit. He prepared his heart. He did what he could do. He did what he had been told to do, in that case by the prophet, in both of those cases by the prophet, he did what he was told to do, and then God did for him what he could not do. Right. Now, folks, let's bring it around to ourselves. I don't know about you. I want the Lord to work in my life. I want miracles. I need, I need miracles. I need God's divine intervention. I need his divine protection. I need his, uh, I need his, his blessing on my life in many, many ways. But you know what I have to do first? I have to submit. I have to prepare my heart. I have to do what 
I can do. And then God will take care of the rest. He will do what I cannot do. These two people, Jesus says, prepared their hearts. They came seeking sincerely the, the widow woman and the leper after he got name and after he got his heart right. You know what, folks? Sometimes we've got to get our heart right. In this case, Naaman's servant helped him get his heart right. But once he got his heart right, he went down and got in that river, and then God did the miracle. And the same thing is true for us today. If you want God to work in your life, then you've got to submit, and we've got to submit to the Word of God. If we want God to do the things that we cannot do for us, then we need to be doing the things that we can do. You know, God is not, you know, the genie in the lamp where you rub the lamp and he comes out and I'll give you three wishes. What do you want? Doesn't work that way. And when these folks in Nazareth, when Jesus basically told them it's not happening here, you're not going to see any miracles, they got so upset they tried to kill him. The Christian who shows up on Sunday morning, and I'm thankful for everybody who shows up, but the person who shows up on Sunday morning, I'm talking about now a believer who shows up on Sunday morning, who hasn't spent a minute in the Bible all week long, who has not spent a minute praying, who has not spent a minute seeking God in his life throughout the week and comes into church on Sunday and expects God to work all kinds of miracles and solve his problems. Probably not going to happen. The person who comes to church as a cynic. And by the way, this is something all of us have to guard against. Especially as you get, as after you've been in church for a while. And maybe for years, sometimes for decades. And you come and it all becomes very familiar to us and we're used to it and we've heard it all before. You know what? If we're not careful, we get cynical. We say, you know what? I've heard this. I know this. We take it for granted. And pretty soon, guess what? God's not working in our life. And you know what happens? If we're not careful, we become more cynical. You know, unfortunately, these people did not repent when they heard this illustration. They didn't say, hey, I get it. I need to repent. I get it. I need to be willing to humble myself like Naaman humbled himself. I get it. I need to be willing to give just like that widow woman was willing to give to the Lord. This is not, this is not the, the kid next door standing in front of me. This is the Son of God. That's not what happened. And folks, the same flame that melts the wax bakes the clay. You know what? We can get hearts to get real hard if we're not careful to where nothing penetrates us. And you know what happens at that point? God stops working in our lives. Not because he's not able. It wasn't that Jesus got there and said, you know, I've just run out of miracles. You know what? I can't. I just can't work it up here. No, it wasn't that at all. It was an issue on their part. It was an issue in their hearts. And folks, we have to guard our hearts. We have to make sure we prepare our hearts. We have to make sure we keep our hearts right. Young people, 
You want God to work in your life? You want God to direct you to his perfect will? You want God to provide you with the person that I believe he's prepared for you? Uh, he pre prepared for you in 99% of the cases to marry? You want God to pay your bills? By the way, there's a lot of bills once you get out of, out of his, my children grow up and they leave home and now they're out there on their own. Something happens. They realize how much it costs to exist in the world. Now, right now, you only think you know. You know, because good grief, I got to come up with five bucks to go buy a Starbucks. I mean, what can be worse than that, right? <laughs> but you know what? You get out there, you're going to need, here's my point. You need God's help to navigate this life. You need God's help, not just to pay bills, but to answer prayer, to give wisdom, to give direction. Which job do I take? Where do I live? In addition to who do I marry? Where do I go to college? What does God want me to do? You know, the best thing you can do is submit. The best thing you can do as a young person is come to the altar and say, Lord, you show me and I'll do it. Whether it makes sense as far as to my other friends and other, but if you show me what you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. What's the tendency of our, of our human nature? Hey, I've got this figured out. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to, you know, find somebody that I, I, I can find somebody on my own to marry and I can go to this place, that place, and we can try to work it all. I'll tell you what, folks. If you ever figure out how to work life out and get it all planned out and it all works out that way, come and let me know how you did it. Because my experience is the best laid plans 99% of the time don't work out that way. You know what we need? We need God working. And by the way, you know what? It's such a better thing. To, it's a, such a better way to live. It's such a better way to put your head down the pillow at night and say, you know what? I don't know how it's going to all work out, but I know I have a God who does, and I'm just going to seek after him. And I'm going to get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray, and I'm going to trust him with the day, and I'm going to do the right that I know I should be doing. And when I sin, I'm going to confess my sins and get them right before God, and I'm going to just seek after God. That is such a better way to live. Because you know what? No matter what happens, when you have that attitude towards life, God's got you covered. I think about Daniel, the difference between Daniel and maybe many of his friends. What was the difference with Daniel? Daniel sought after the Lord in his heart. He was sold as a slave, something that none of us in this room have any concept of what that would be like. But I'm telling you this, if you woke up in the middle of the night, they came to your house and somebody arrested you and they hauled you off and sold you as a slave to some foreign country. I think that that would probably be like a very traumatic thing for us. But you know what? Daniel got there and he said, I'm just going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And God took care of him. Kingdoms changed, rulers changed. The kingdom he was in got overthrown. Uh, the kingdom of Babylon, the Persians came in, and Daniel simply kept, he kept, you could say he kept the same office. 
And he went from ruler in one kingdom to ruler in the next kingdom. You don't do that by planning. You do that by surrendering to God and keeping your heart right. Same thing with Joseph being sold into uh, Egypt. What was the difference between what made the, the difference between Joseph's failure and success? He kept his heart right. That's right. That's right. And you know what? There's nothing more important than keeping your heart right. I'm saying if we want God to work in our lives, then we're going to have to continually be preparing our heart to seek the Lord, keeping our heart right. Very familiar passage teaches us what the formula for that looks like. You can turn there, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, which says, if my people, talking to believers, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So what's the secret? That that is a verse that tells us how to prepare our hearts. Number one, humble ourselves. You know what that is? Hey, I really don't have much control over anything except this particular moment, and then I can only control my actions, my attitudes. Whatever level of greatness I've attained to, that can all be snuffed out in a moment. As we saw tragically with the famous basketball player, Kobe Bryant. There he is. And you know, I'm sure people would see, and that was a, I think it was a leased helicopter, but it, that was not, you know, that wasn't, I don't know if how many of you saw what kind of helicopter that he crashed and died in. That was not a kit. It was a, I don't know how they say it. I can't even say it. Skiorsky. And it was a big helicopter. It would make the helicopter they fly out here for emergency services look like a toy. I mean, that was a big helicopter. And I'm sure that as that helicopter would fly over, people would say, wow, look at that. That's Maybe and maybe and maybe it was it was leased, but he used that particular one a lot. It was coming from certain places. I'm sure people and his neighbors. Wow, think about it. Look at that. Of course, his neighbors probably be a little bit higher up on the ladder than you're in my neighbors. But uh, but I'm saying people look at. But you know what? Where is he now? I'm not judging him for it. I'm just saying you can't figure life out. He ended up. It sounds like they flew the thing, and I think that I haven't heard of it. I don't think anything conclusive has come out. But, you, you know, they flew the thing in the fog. Sounds like the pilot lost his orientation. The thing crashes and burns. Tragically, it's all tragic. I'm not saying it's not tragic. I'm not saying he deserved it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this. Your money cannot buy you a plan in life. And I'm not against his wealth. I, for he earned it. I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm just saying from our perspective, looking at that, we tend to think if I had that kind of money, I would have it made. Yeah. Folks, he's 41. It's a tragic story. And sounds like as people go like a, a good, I have no idea what his faith background was or wasn't. I have no idea. But sounded like a man who, 
you know, was doing good things with the blessed, with the money he'd been blessed with, helping people. But my point is this, that cannot, that level of success does not buy you a life that has no problems and no danger. And if that level of success doesn't have it, then guess what? It doesn't exist. And you know what the most important thing? And maybe he was a man of faith. I have no idea. But, and, because tra- and by the way, tragic things happen to people of faith. None, you know, none of us are getting out of this world alive unless the Lord comes back. But I'll tell you what, I don't want to leave prematurely from what the God's plan was. Now, none of us know when that time is. It may be this week. We don't know. But we don't want to leave prematurely because we would not submit to God's plan. Because we took things into our own hands. Because we said, I'm going to do it my way. We want to be people who prepare ourselves. And we prepare ourselves first of all by humbling ourselves before God, realizing that he's in control and we're not. Number two, by prayer. Number three, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, seeking God's face. There's the heart. Boy, Lord, what do you want? When's the last time you prayed? Said, Lord, what do you want from me? What, how do you want me to make this decision? Turn from your wicked ways. Confess and forsake your sin. That's the third thing. Get your heart right. Confess our sin. And you know what? That's a formula for getting our hearts prepared for the Lord. And every, it's a formula that every single one of us can do. It's not a hard thing to do. Prepare your heart. Let me ask you tonight. Is your heart, have you prepared your heart to seek the Lord? Where's your heart at tonight when it comes to the things of God? Let's make sure that we're preparing our hearts. Let's have heads bowed, eyes closed.